Let's go. Welcome to another episode of Let's Go Hockey Podcast. I am your host, Pete Kamen of Elevated Hockey. Today, we had on our guest, Ted Soikinen, skills coach of the locomotive in the KA, or, I'm sorry, the KHL over in Russia. But with me today, my fellow co-host and coach, who we got here? Danny Heath uh, of Project Hockey. Super excited to have Ted on. Honestly, like, the interview was awesome. Like, super roller coaster for me like i was like kind of had a little man crush on him i think i subscribed to his newsletter during it it was uh it was really cool like the stuff he does and just his buddy up system was it was really cool like you can genuinely tell this guy loves hockey and kind of geeks out about it uh which is right up my alley so i love it and it was uh it was a fun interview what uh what are you looking forward to in this interview coach for sure. I agree with you there, Danny. And I think, uh, you know, Ted for me is a super interesting guy, not only because of his path in hockey. I mean, he, you know, grown up in the U S and in Minnesota and playing, uh, playing juniors in the USHL and then NCAA D one, and then coach, you know, playing over in Sweden and coaching in Sweden and Finland and playing in Germany and coaching in Russia. The guy's been all over the world coaching different styles uh, of the game, which is super interesting to me, but his, uh, like in-depth, like, love and knowledge of the mental side of the game and not, not so much of like mindset, but like the mental side of like, how do you teach a player, like the learning side of the game? How does, uh, how does the mind work? How does, how does the, a player like from, from a mental capacity, like have skill acquisition, like how does that work? So, I mean, I've talked to him in the past at length on that and it's super fascinating to me. And so I think that that we get a little glimpse of that in this, in this interview. And, and so I'm excited to share that, you know, some of his perspectives and experience on, uh, on skill acquisition from a mental side of how to get those players hockey IQ up. Yeah. Super excited about this one. Uh, like I said, uh, he's a big geek of the game and I mean that in the best way possible. Um, super excited for it. Don't forget to hit that like button, subscribe, uh, show some love so we can keep pushing out this unbelievable podcast. I, I've actually gotten more in the past couple of weeks of just people reaching out saying how awesome the last few episodes have been. So if you haven't checked those out, go back and check those out. But yeah, let's jump into this thing, coach. You ready? I'm ready. Let's go. Let's go. This interview was brought to you by our friends at hockeywolf.com. If you love the game of hockey or just know someone who does, you need to visit HockeyWolf.com today. HockeyWolf has physical locations in Montana and Washington State, but if you aren't lucky enough to live near one of their stores, you can always visit their website and place an order at any time. They have everything you need from skates and sticks to shower slips and hoodies. And for all of you coaches and organizational leaders out there, listen up because Hockey Wolf provides some of the best team sales services in all of North America. So if your team needs new helmets, maybe some gloves, boxes of tape, even some warm-up suits and training gear, Hockey Wolf has you covered. So like we always say, go support Hockey Wolf because they support us. That's H-O-C-K-E-Y-W-O-L-F.com. And hey, for all of you lacrosse players out there, make sure you visit lacrossewolf.com too. All right, let's go to the interview. Originally from Virginia, Minnesota, up in the Iron Range, Played his high school hockey for Duluth East. Played in the USHL for uh, one of my nemesis, the Lincoln Stars, but we'll touch on that later. Played his college hockey for the NCAA Division I University of Alaska Anchorage. After playing his hockey, his college hockey, played pro hockey in Europe. Let's go. Spending seasons playing the Netherlands, Italy, Germany, and Sweden. As a coach, he spent six seasons uh, working with multiple levels of hockey in Norway before heading to Russia. He's currently the skills coach for Yaroslav Lokomotiv, working with players from multiple levels, including the KHL owner of Neuro Hockey, Ted Sukinen. Welcome to the Let's Go Hockey podcast. How are we doing today? Woo! Well, we're doing great. That was that was a great intro there, buddy. Didn't even breathe on that one. No, I, uh, I'm a one, one gulp guy, and it's, uh, yeah, I... Uh, that was good. Sorry if I mispronounced anything, but we're excited to have you on today. I'm, I'm excited to be here. I've, I follow you guys' podcast for, for a number of months now since you guys brought it out, and Pete and I have had a conversation before, so I'm honored to be with you guys here today. So let's do this, eh? Awesome. Well, let's go. <laughs> yeah, well, Ted, I, yeah, we appreciate you coming on here, man. Like you said, we've talked before, so I'm excited to share kind of some of your perspectives and your path in hockey and Danny's obviously fired up here right now, so I think we uh, we jump into it. So Ted, 
Danny covered a couple of your stops as a player uh, from coming mm-hmm. up through college and pro, but you know, what kind of got you originally, like, how'd you get into the game of hockey? What you got you hooked on hockey uh, early in life? Pretty easy. I grew up in Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, I, I grew up in the North of Minnesota, the iron range, basically, you know, that's all we had was cold winters that started in the end of August and didn't end till beginning of April but seriously that was my parents put me on some skates that we had a rink right outside my grandma's house you know kitty corner from that and started skating us too and then it just snowballed after that it's it's religion up there in the northern part of Minnesota for sure and it's what everybody did so that's what got me in it yeah let's uh let's chat about that because I think and this is probably something a lot of people don't know and I hope I'm right about this um, but up in Duluth, where you, I mean, you played your high school hockey in Duluth, you're from northern Minnesota, which there's honestly like there's a huge culture difference. I, I live in southern Minnesota, um, played my college hockey, Minnesota State University, the best college in the world. But, um, <laughs> uh, but there's, there's a huge culture shift when you get to the northern part of the state. And I believe that up through squirts or up until squirts, you guys are playing out. Programs or is that the same? Well, we or- did, you know, we did, you know, up in up in Virginia. So it's, Virginia is only an hour north of Duluth, so it's it's very close there. But we had Virginia, we had Hibbing, Evleth, you know, um, Chisholm, all the small little guys, Grand Rapids. Um, <clears throat> my home city is only nine thousand people. We had one rink, but we had a bunch of outside rinks. So any any time that we could get ice with the team or without the team. We were out. We were out playing, and so our coaches sometimes we'd have outdoor practices one week straight, and then maybe just one indoor ice for for example when we were younger. But it was it was part of our blood, right? So there was no, you know, indoor ice was like a luxury, I guess you could say. But outside ice was it was plentiful. You could go anywhere. We had rinks up on the north side of Virginia, the south side, everywhere with with boards and everything with neighborhood kids. So it was just part of our DNA when we grew up, and that's you know. I guess that's the, the the memories that we always bring back to us whenever we talk about hockey and development. Those were the those were the fun days and the free for all days. Yeah, let's let's chat about that just a, a little bit more because I'm so I grew up in Arizona um, and obviously had no outdoor hockey. Now that I live in God's country here in Minnesota, I like there's rinks I can see three out my window right mm-hmm. now, and so it's like. What, what, what was that like when you're on the outdoor rink for people that probably live in a, a warmer climate? Like, did you guys just do practices like you would do at the rink? Was it throw your sticks in the middle and let's see whose team you're on? Or, or what did that, what did that look like for you guys? Well, it was basically like, um, for example, like on a Saturday, uh, these are like my fondest memories. Like on a Saturday, for example, we wake up and had breakfast at home, put on your hoodie, pair of sweatpants and long johns and all that good stuff. And then, I don't know if you guys, the, the audience will know this, but you, you, Dan, you should probably hear this one. The choppers, right? The chopper gloves, the <laughs> yellow mitts, right? You got those, you got your stick, and you got your skates on your stick, and you're walking to the rink. And this is at 8.30 in the morning. You see some of your buddies walking there, and you, you get out there, and you'd be there all day. And mom and dad, that was the days that mom and dad would actually go to McDonald's and bring you guys McDonald's for the warming shack. <laughs> and depending at night, they, you might have a practice there, and then, mom and dad would bring back your rest of your equipment because we didn't wear equipment when we were on the ice. No helmets, nothing. It was just choppers, wood sticks at that time, you know. <laughs> and it didn't matter who was out there. You could be 10 years old and you'd have guys that were on the high school team. So they're 17, 18 years old, 16. And like you said, Danny, it would be, let's pick teams. Everybody throws their stick in the middle. So it didn't matter whose team you were on, you're just playing. And depending, um, we'd use those orange uh, soft pucks and just so that you could take a shot and nobody would get hurt. So all the, <laughs> all the hard pucks would go, but you never wanted that. There was a black puck as well that was called a sponge puck. But the second that, you know, you're down below zero degrees, that thing turned into a hard puck. So you'd always make sure you have that little orange soft one out there so you could rip slappers and you got the things going everywhere. But I look back on those days and – it's funny because there was no Zamboni that would go out there all the time. You'd have to shovel and you'd have cuts, you'd have ruts, you'd have all that stuff. And those, those pucks didn't glide on the ice. You'd have to be paying attention to what you were doing. 
your heads have to be up because everybody is there and you know you're just trying to make make way and i think that translated a lot into our games and our our creativity back in the day absolutely and that, i i agree with you on that one and that's um that's actually kind of what i want to jump into next i know we could probably talk for hours about your war stories in the ushl and, <laughs> and and up in anchorage and then your pro hockey and stuff but i i know that ted you're real passionate about coaching your players and then also helping other coaches. So mm-hmm. let's talk about that. Um, you know, like I, I want to jump into what you're just talking about with, with the, the development of creativity and stuff, but first let's talk about a little bit how you got into coaching, like you, as you're playing in Sweden and how you transitioned into coaching and kind of that path. And then we'll jump into this kind of what you're doing now. Well, you know, it's just, you know, uh, we don't want to talk about the war stories because there wasn't so many, especially up in college. <laughs> we weren't, we weren't very good at UAA at that time, but um to be honest, uh, my last year in Sweden, I, I had three years in a row where I injured my knee. It was uh, Sweden and Germany and then Sweden again. And the last time I injured it, I'm like, I'm done. I'm done with same, this. I'm not rehabbing. Knee. Pardon? Same knee? Yeah, same knee. Right one. Jeez. And I had a good friend back up in Alaska that I met uh, during my time when I was in college there, Steve McSwain. He's part of USA Hockey, does some of the select stuff out there. And Stevie, Stevie Mack was up there, and when I was done, I, wanted, I, I, I couldn't leave the game. I was 24 years old, 25. I'm like, I can't leave the game, so what's my next, what's my next route? So he got me. I was his assistant coach up there, uh, coaching AAA. And, um, you know, all of a sudden I mentored under him for a year and then took over a high school team as well up in Alaska. And I was up there for four years coaching, and it just – it gave me a different avenue, right? So for me, it gave me a whole different perspective, but I was just like, my first year was kind of like, okay, let's, let's do this. Let's see where it's going to lead. But it really just kicked in the passion because, you know, you're able to teach the, the future generations. You're able to give back to what you've learned and everything else like that. And it just sparked a whole different um, part of my brain to go and see like, how can I, how can I become better for the future generations? And, you know, lo and behold, a couple of years down the road, an old coach from Sweden called and said, you want to come back? And my wife is Swedish and everything else. So it kind of like, all right, let's go back. And I, you know, it's just, I can't say it's like, it's exploded because the, the, the coaching, the coaching area, it's not the most glorious uh, job titles to have because there's a lot of downtimes, you know, you're, you're, you're by yourself thinking a lot because you're always second guessing what you did or did you do enough or, you know, but I can't complain because of the life experiences it's given me and all those life experiences keep coming back into the coaching realm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, making a positive impact with those players and, and let's dive in on your, um, your, your experience as a coach as you jumped over to Norway. Cause you know, being a coach in USA hockey, uh, the one thing, we hear a lot about what coaches are doing over in Scandinavia and in Russia and in Europe and Canada. Like it's just kind of a thing in USA hockey where they're always saying like, you know, this is our identity, but this is what these other programs are doing that might be doing it better than we are, or this is where we excel. So um, I'd love to talk, have you talk to us about like, what is coaching hockey? Really, what is hockey development from a coach's perspective look like in Norway versus in Russia? Like what are the main differences between those two, pro- those two types of hockey? What's the difference between an apple and an orange? <laughs> I mean, like, that was a joke because my wife is Swedish and everything else. I got my Swedish passport now, so I identify as a Swede. But um, they're always talking about how Norway is a little brother to Sweden because Norway, you know, they, they never really had the identity. They're more of an individual sport, which would be like cross-country skiing and everything else. So they try to really look into the uh, Swedish side of stuff and, and develop their hockey based off the Swedish model. And when you're looking at both countries, they're very small in population, and it's very small in um, number of hockey players overall. But the the way that they've tried to go, like the Norway model right now, is you know they've tried to get as many kids involved into hockey as as much as possible, and then keep them there as, as long as possible. So there's a lot of different kind of rules where fair play rule that nobody can um, you you can't bench anybody. Everybody's got to have the same amount of ice time all the way up until I believe they're 13 years old. You know, you get goalie points. You play both your goalies in a game. At, in the game, you get goalie points for that game as well. Huh. So it's 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 a very much you know they're trying to grow the sport. It's not easy, 
but they're, they're trying to grow it and they're really trying to go off the Swedish model, which is a lot more of like, let's, let's make creative players. Let's let them think for themselves and let's continually uh, build on that. But jumping over to Russia, it's like I said, it's apples and oranges here. It's um, hockey's hockey, hockey's life. You know, Norway hockey's not life. You can make a lot of money doing a lot of other stuff there. And then if you make it up into the pro league in Norway, you, you can eke out and out a living, but you're not going to be set for life. But when you come over here to Russia, it's completely different. If you can make it in hockey, you're going to be set for life. So the, the hockey environment here is like, it's, it's based off of their culture from a long time ago, like the great sixties and the seventies and the eighties when they had those unbelievable teams. And the one thing is, is that the people that were involved in the game before that were ex players, they always come back to try to educate and re-educate the guys coming back up. You see that a little bit. Um, you probably see that in Minnesota a lot with guys that played at the highest level um, coming back to, to their hometowns, but you don't see that all over the country. Um, and it's pretty cool that, that in Russia guys come back to, to help out and, and make the game better. And uh, I'm, I'm interested in like with you being a Minnesota guy, now you're across the pond working on, you do a lot of skills coaching. Like I'd love to, I'd love to dive into what that looks like for you. Like with you, I mean, you said you identify, like you have your Swedish passport, you, um, or maybe you have a Swedish citizenship regardless. Um, uh, you've got like three different types of hockey in your blood right now. And so I'm wondering like what development looks like for you and, and how, how you train players and get them making decisions and, and things like that. And so let's just start off with that. Like what, what side do you think you lean to the most as far as how you develop hockey players and uh, what does that look like? Well, it's funny because, you know, I'm about five foot nothing. So I'm five, I'm five six. And I grew up in a time like in the 80s and 90s, or especially the 90s in my, my, my high school days, junior days, college days, where small guy wasn't, you know, he wasn't a priority. And my guys that I always looked up to as far as players were always like the Russian guys, the smaller guys, you know, and then Fedorov and McGillney and Burry and all these guys started coming into the league. And the way that they played the creativity, Alexei Kovalev, all these guys, and it kind of like mimicked how I tried to play because of being smart on the ice. I couldn't win a one-on-one battle just going brute force. So I always had to look for the open ice and, and, you know, giving goals and everywhere else, especially back in those days when we had the, you know, the red line uh, rule with the two line pass and all that. So that's how I was identified as more of a, of an open European style player back in that day. And I think when I got into the coaching part of it and I started to understand the game a little bit more from a different perspective, I did a lot of studying on the Russian side of stuff, you know, a lot, a lot of the old Tarasov and uh, you know, the big Russian five and, in Detroit and really starting to understand what they, their whole idea was. And what happened was, was that by doing that, I actually went into a different sport to, you know, study and which was soccer, because if you look back at the days of Tarasov and everything else, they were really basing a lot of stuff off of soccer or football, as you call it here in Europe and talking about puck possession, passing, manipulating space, exploiting space, opening space, everything like that. And so my thinking, my thought process just kept evolving into that. So I've never really looked back at the game in itself as looking at what other coaches, what other programs, what other countries are doing with hockey. It's more like, okay, I understand hockey's hockey. It doesn't matter where you are in the world, whether it's Sweden, America, Russia, Germany, it doesn't matter. It's hockey. Um, But what do the different cultures actually do to, you know, process more elite players onto different levels and what they're, what they're thinking is in the Swedish level, they really go for a lot of creativity, you know, like the, the young kids are promoted uh, at the young ages to play a lot of small area games. That's what the Federation wants. And you're starting to see that with the ADM in in America with your small area game stuff as well. And what happens is, is that for myself and we're getting into my philosophy part of it, it's more of a hands-off approach, right? I've never wanted to be the dictator as a coach. I never wanted to, I like skill wise or technique wise, whichever way we want to look at it and talk about it. But I never, ever demonstrate for, for players. 
because the minute I demonstrate is the minute, the minute that they start to sit there and they emulate me, they try to mimic what I'm going to try to do. But now I'm taking away from them what their natural environment and what their natural tendencies would be. So it's more like for myself as a sit back, create an environment that's going to exploit them to actually think to, to move and to see what their patterns are and then try to actually help them out. Because the minute I can ignite cognition inside of them and the minute that they're starting to make decisions and starting to move, that's when I can step in and actually be able to help them grow into what they need to be part of. I love that. Like Ted, you and I have talked about that before. And that's one thing that's really interesting to me is, is following along and in, in how you are, you know, you're a, a skills coach, but you, you key in on, on a player's mind a lot. You know, in my perception from the outside looking in is you, you key into a player's mind a lot more than the, the physical skills, um, which I think is super interesting. So can you walk us through like some specifics of like, you know, give us an example of what that looks like with a player when you're saying there's a scenario that you're looking for his decision-making, like what is like, what, how do you set that up? And like, what does that look like? And then at what point do you jump in with corrections or other options? Well, it all starts off like, especially here, um, we watch all the games and we cut all the games. So we track the players habits. And then I think Pete that you and I have talked about before, but we, we track the players habits and then I try to group those habits into areas. So that's basically grouping the players. So whether like for, for an easy example, I did this now for the uh, global skills showcase was um, we had two players and we really wanted to um, enhance their zone entry. All right. So what was happening is that they're entering into the zone with, with possession, with control. But the problem with them is that they're not actually taking the shots when they have them. They're not, you know, they're trying to make the extra move. They're trying to do the extra, you know, open hip or the extra stick handle and they're missing opportunities. And it's, it's a high rate of misses. And it's just been happening now for like the last couple of months. So what we're trying to do is nip it in the butt. So what happens is we look at this, we track it. We look at the numbers. We, ha- we sit there on there and we talk about it over video. And now all, bit, all that happens is we go on the ice and I put them in a situation where they're going to come in and they're going to do something, but they got to get a shot as soon as they make a move, for example. But it's on video and it'll never be the first rep that I'll talk to them. Never on the first rep because that's their, that's their try. That's, that's something there. And it's going to be their second or third rep. We're going to sit back there and I'll look at the video and see what we, what we can compare on. And then what happens is, is usually that they're going to have another guy in front of them. So there's not going to be a cone. There's not going to be something where there's just a marker there. It could be myself. It could be another player that's just going to mimic being a defender, for example. And now I'm going to start asking them, what did you think? What did you see? Right? Because whatever they saw was the reason why they did the next move. And then what we'll go back and start saying, okay, now we got the shot off. Now what happens if we sit back just a little bit? What happens if we pull the puck in just a little bit more, for example? Can we get a little bit more power coming off that? And what we'll do is, I'm not an isolation guy, so what will happen is they'll go through the rep, we'll talk to them about it, we'll look at the video, and then if I need to break it down into isolation, I'll do it really quick on the side before their next rep. So they're not, they're not wasting any kind of time. It can just be like a little bit of a, little bit of a move, feel how the puck comes in, a little bit of a skating move, feel how that is, and now get back into action and do it. Love that. How lucky are these players you're working with? Sounds like we need you back over here in Minnesota. Um, but, My mom and dad would love that. <laughs> that, <laughs> that um, but yeah, what, um, to go a little bit further in like the isolation thing. So like you mean like if you're working on zone entries as a whole, and you know you, you work on that first move and then create space and get that shot off so you mean like you won't just work on that move but you will like hey quickly and pra- like quickly in the back of the line or something like that is that is that kind of what you mean by that right so like what happens a lot is that you, you see like the younger teams and stuff and we're trying to because uh, i'm the director of the player development here so i'm trying to change the way that they're doing like the the skill side or the technique side of stuff so like um if you're doing an open hip, I don't want, I'll never do an open hip. Just say, here, here's a, here's a cone. Here's a cone. Here's a cone. Do an open hip, open hip, open hip. Now shoot. Got it. Because they're just going to get into that route thing. Right. It's just that memorization of that thing, but they're not really looking. They're not seeing, they're not making any kind of decisions. 
So what happens with the actual open hip, it's just a movement. But how do they place that movement inside of a game, right? So what I want to be able to do is get them going. And I'm going to say, depending on where the player is, are we going to use the open hip or not? What can you use it for? So we want to see how they're actually going to, you know, take it out and put it in within context. Yeah. And then if they don't, you know, if they don't make the move quite right or if it feels a little bit awkward, now we're going to talk to them about why, right? So maybe he can't move that way, for example. Maybe he's a little bit locked. So if he's a little bit locked, well, what other move can we actually put in there that might be able to get you to the next step that you need to get you into that space? Basically creating like a menu for these kids to pull from. Um, and like the idea of like working on it in line, uh, like I love that. Like I, I try to watch as many like professional college junior practices as possible. It's like you look at when they're doing skill work, if you look at the line, they're always doing something. Like they're not just standing there uh staring off into space one they're either watching the drill so they know what they're doing or two they're working on something whether it's like the head fake within whatever the skill is they're doing it or they're doing something in line i think that's uh i think it's a big piece like if you if you think about a youth hockey player if they work on whatever skill they're doing inside the drill also while they're standing in line like think of how much more they're going to work on that than the kid that just stands in line and so I, exactly. I don't know, I, like I always like preach that day one is like the line is a spot for you to get better. And so you either need to be one, one of two things, like one, working on something or two, uh, watching, like paying attention so you know what you're doing. Because like I that I got that from, I, I was coached by JP Parisi back in my junior mm-hmm. hockey days. And like, it was one of those things where um, like as one of the captains of the team, this kid was messing around with the puck in line, one of my teammates. And I was like, Hey, knock that off. And JP and JP kind of pulled me aside. And he's like, why would you want your, your teammates not to get better in line? I was like, wow, you're right. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a switch. And so when you think about these skills and like you've mentioned a few, um, what do you think like the most, most athletes like from, we'll say Bantams through, through high school, aspiring to be a junior hockey player? Like what, what are the skills you think that they're lacking that you see uh, either overseas or, or in the States or, or Canada. All right, but I'm going to go back to you real quick on this before I answer that. That idea that you had there about the guy standing in line and, and, and doing other stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a great idea. And it's a great thing that at least at least they're going to be doing something. Yep. But here's the other thing, like, you can actually take that up another level. So instead of using cones or instead of using, like, just pre, preset uh, routes, yeah. Use them in pairs and have the guy that's like the defensive forward or the defenseman or whatever you're, you're putting that as a little bit passive. So it's always going to be changing. The environment's always going to change and you're always going to see different moves taken out because of the decision he's going to make. Now, those two get back to line, have them talk to each other. Yeah. The defensive guy talking to the offensive guy about you could have done this. Maybe if you did this, this is how I was there. You know, all of a sudden, we as a coach, we're putting that learning back onto the players and they're trying to teach each other as well. While they're in Which line. is also, you know, you understand what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to steal that and use that all summer and pretend I came up with it. So I appreciate that. <laughs> no, no problem. I'll take royalties later. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love that idea though. Like the idea of like, okay, you two are going to, if we're doing, like let's just stick with zone entries because that's what we've been hooked on a little bit here. Like if you say like, you know, the first time you're going to be on offense and you're going to go on defense the next time and like and that that immediate feedback that like yeah the coach should be there but maybe the coach is already helping another group um they're able to get that immediate feedback like hey uh, your toe caps were facing the exact way you were going the whole time and so that was super easy for me to watch where you're going and so now the next time or you could have been successful on this if you would have just pulled it back just a little bit more because i was already reaching but you got lazy on that pullback on the stick if it's a stick handling move or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the reason why I like to promote that is is the same reason why is that in the game, what happens? What happens when we come off the ice as a line? We sit down there and talk, right? Yeah. And sometimes we'll go down to the D and we'll talk to them. Well, now all of a sudden you're just building that inner, inner team uh, communication that is so vital to succeeding. Yeah, I love that. Um, well, I could talk about that all day. <laughs> <laughs> but now going now going to your part about if you're like you're in the bands and you're in the high school and and, yeah, yeah. and these ones here. So 
I can take it from here because I don't see a lot of high school games. I talk to my parents a lot, and, you know, they're getting up there in their age a little bit, but they keep saying, oh, it's not the same as it was back in the 90s. So maybe they're just being, you know, they love me that much. But Yeah, maybe that's it. But what I do see is, like, we have our – the way we are structured here, we have our KHL, which is our pro team. And then our MHLA, which would be like our USHL or a Canadian junior team, you know, OHL, that's that league. And then mm-hmm. MHLB, which would be our under 18s. And so after that, we have our under 16. So we have those kids coming up to the MHLB and then MHLA. And here's the thing, like, I believe we are, we've, uh, there's a lot of skill coaches out there, skill development and player development has taken leaps and bounds. It's, it's jumped big time. But what I do see a lot of now is that we have a lot of players that can do so much individual skill without any kind of pressure, any kind of anything, and they look like a million dollars. Make them think. Make them pass. Make them, you know, do stuff, and all of a sudden it's like they've never put skates on before. Right. So what I I think, like, we've we've taken our game and we've kind of, like, almost like the goaltenders have done, but the goaltending position is completely different than a, than a forward or a defenseman. Uh, we've, we've, we've broken it down so much into the skating, into the stick handling, into the shooting where we've isolated all the parts. And we're just hoping to God that the player has all this stuff out here and he's going to be able to put it together inside of a game. What I would like to see and what we're trying to promote more of is how do you incorporate more players players going at one time within a skill practice working together because we all know that the guy with the puck you know he's dependent on the four guys without the puck he can only do so much and that's that's where that sticky is, is that sometimes in the trip younger levels one guy can actually walk a whole team and win new games but the problem is that you're going to hit a plateau where you're going to need to work with other players so how do you know, how do we build everything and mold everything together to, to make them think more and work as a team? Yeah, it's a, it's a process there. I mean, I, I think when you and I spoke last, I, I thought about that a lot afterwards and that's been like, it's kind of changed. I've been kind of cognizant of that in my, my practices of like, you know, how are we, or when are we just going through the, the, the mechanical motions versus when are we like trying to have these guys develop decision-making skills and, and how does that game, like that skill directly to apply to their game and, you know, working with the junior team now, like I think about that every time I'm planning out our practice of like, you know, is it just going through the motions and shooting pucks or is it, um, you know, is it, is it getting these kids to see where they're going to apply these skills and how they can, they can do it a different way. So it's definitely a process that I've been, I've been playing with a lot lately. And, you know, I think that's, that's something that can help the co- as the coaches grow, then, you know, the players are going to grow. And so that kind of leads me into my next, my next topic with you is uh, your development of, of, of neuro hockey and kind of your love for coaching the coaches and trying to develop the game through the coaches. So speak to speak a little bit about neuro hockey is how it came to be and kind of what your, you know, mission and goals are with that, that program. Well, it's funny because the last time we, we spoke, you know, since that time, I believe it was like almost a year now. Yeah. Um, I've, I finished my degree with neuroscience, so I finally got that done. Nice. Congratulations. Thanks. Parents are happy about that now, (laughs) but no, I finished that up. And what it is, is like, I think that the game, what we always look at, we always look at the physical side of stuff and it's very easy to see the physical. It's easy to watch the Edmonton Oilers play and just, you know, be in awe of McDavid and be like, Everybody's got to skate like that or see McKinnon take a ripper and be like, that's how we got to shoot. You know, it's like that kind of stuff. But the other thing, the other part about it is that what got me interested in the brain is that why, why are some athletes like this? How do we promote this? And, you know, everything that you have to do, whether it's physical or not physical, everything starts in the brain. But before that, everything starts in the eyes because whatever your butt, you know, whatever your eyes take in your brain's going to process and whatever your brain processes what your body's going to do so we're working for the main part almost everybody's working on the the third part of the process and nobody's working on the first and second part that leads up to it so that was like i'm like okay well if i can understand the brain and if i can help other people you know start getting more in tune with it now we can start building more you know better environments for players 
to actually get that first division, the brain cognition, and then into the body movement to make complete players. So with the Nero hockey, it's just a, it's, it's a newsletter right now that goes out every, every Friday that I just talk about different pieces. Like I think the first month was more about, you know, player first environment because they are first and foremost, the, the one reason why we do everything without the players, we have no jobs without the players. We have no sport. So we have to be cognizant of that, that we have to be able to provide them with everything that's for them, not for us, for them. And as you've seen, Pete, I think on all in the, in the second month, we're starting to go a little bit into the brain about the different areas. Mm-hmm. So everything's kind of building up now and, you know, trying to put together my classes, but I have a, a class that's coming out now at the beginning of June for, for coaches only. It's called uh, the cognitive hockey mythology. So how do we build everything from the ground up uh, at, at the youngest levels? And how do we keep building it for the players as they grow up in the ages? Because I think, the youngest kids, if you take my kids, for example, I don't like to brag about them, but I got a seven-year-old that speaks three, three languages, reads in three different languages, and has two different alphabets. I got a 14-year-old that has five different languages that she, she reads and speaks in. And I think we, we try to dumb the game down too much for the youngest kids, where I think we should overload it even more for the younger kids because they can soak in so much more information than we give them credit for. Yeah. They're just like sponges at that young age. Like they can. A lot of it, you know, a lot of it, they don't, they don't always try to make sense of everything. They don't try to make, okay, this has to, they don't try to make sense of that. Right. You have kids, they do it and they learn from it. And then it just starts that whole process. Like I'm just doing it, I'm doing it. And now we're going to move on with it. And how does that evolve? For sure. Um, I just, uh, I just signed up for that newsletter. I was like, how am I not getting this newsletter? Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, and uh, like, before we go any further, like you just go to, I'm going to spell it S U I H K O N E N dot seven, seven. That's your uh, Instagram, 17,000 followers, not a big deal, but uh, you just click on his link and you can go right into it. It's called the Neuro Hockey Substack. Um, there's a free version and, and I believe, and then there's a there's some you can pay for, obviously for the added value, that's only going to make you a better hockey player in person. So just signed up for that as we were doing that. It was super simple. Thank you for that. Um, but Thanks, let's kind man. of build off, like, I love the idea, um, like three languages, that's crazy to me. Um, Danny can barely speak one language. This is yeah, blowing his mind right now. <laughs> <laughs> it is blowing my mind a little bit right now, which is which is fine. Um, but let's talk about now advice. And so th- this is the kind of as we start to kind of tie this up, and um, this is the, a conversation uh, that I could have for hours, and I'd love to to connect again after this. But um, w- what advice do you have for you know youth hockey players trying to reach it, reach juniors, or reach the NCAA? Um, or reach, um, you know, that comparable part over in Russia? Like, what kind of advice do you have for them other than enjoy it, have fun? Um, obviously, it's the best game in the world. So if you're not having fun while you're playing it, um, what kind of advice do you have for those, those young players? Well, number one, um, it's like I always talk to my players about it too, is um, ask questions. Don't just follow a roadmap that somebody else has put out there for you. actually ask questions. It doesn't matter if you have a skill coach or a strength coach, a regular team coach, try to get as much information as you possibly can from whoever's around you. Like ask questions, be inquisitive about everything and and take that stuff in because you don't know when it's going to, you're going to actually need it. And number two, I know you say take away the fun part, you know, everybody says have fun, right? (laughs) But I think the most important part about it is, everything that you do, if it's really your true passion, you're going to have fun at it. So then make sure you work towards it in the right, smart, possible way. And I think that for most of our players, I think the hockey part is easy. I really do. I I, I think like yourself, you got project hockey out there, you know, Pete, you got your stuff going on. There's so much out there that you can just get um, better at physically. But to be honest with all the players out there, what you really need to do is you need to live a healthy lifestyle. If you really want to be good at something, you know, really follow your nutrition, follow your sleep habits, you know, 
make sure you're doing stuff outside of hockey, like different areas, not different sports, but just different areas and just expanding your mind because it makes, it'll help you make more sense of different things that you come in contact with as you go up in the ranks. I think that's huge, especially this time of the year over in the States, kids are, kids are looking at, um, you know, spring hockey and summer hockey and, you know, that there's, there's a lot of value in that, but there's also a lot of value in exactly what you said about, you know, getting into the, you know, piano lessons or music lessons or, or just camping, getting outside, like doing other things away from the rink are going to translate into some success back at the rink when that fire's lit at the beginning of the season again and help players grow. But think about your brain, right? I don't want to sound like some nerd here, but it's neuroplasticity, right? So you can rewire your brain to do different things. It's not set. It's not a set in stone thing. It's very pliable. So now if you, if you just take up chess, for example, or if you take up piano, you take up music, you know, you got so many different things that are happening. Like chess is very much like hockey. You're just trying to outmaneuver the next, the opponent. So if you start to understand the chess game, it's going to help you as you get back on the rink, you're expanding music. If you get into music, get into playing piano, guitar, drums, whatever your thing there, you're, you're learning about rhythm. Once again, hockey's about rhythm. Can you feel it? Can you feel the flow? And can you just go with it? Or are you just like a wooden box? So, I mean, there's like you're saying, Pete, like you just get into different areas, expand the brain. You might find you fall in love with something else. And then, you know, hockey just kind of becomes that second piece. But all of a sudden that second piece keeps growing. You're not going to get burnt out on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's switch gears here, Ted, and talk about uh, advice for coaches. What would your advice to uh, an up-and-coming coach that's, that's working with these different players? What would you say to that coach um, you know, that has the best, best of intentions with their players and they want to help those players succeed in life and in hockey? What, uh, what, do, you, what do you say to that coach that's listening? Sign up. Sign up for the newsletter. That's what's good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to sound like a used car salesman there, but I'll, Sorry, I'll, do, it. I'll do it for you. <laughs> no, but to, but to be honest, uh, I wish I had the advice was you want to do as much as possible for who you're in contact with. It's just human nature. You want to do as much as possible for your kids at home or your wife. Sometimes you just need to take a step back, take a step back. You know, like I always talk about, whether it's on Instagram or Twitter or something, about, I talk about environments. Don't sit there and try to plan the perfect practice. Don't sit there and try to plan the perfect drill because there's no such thing. Right. Sit there and create an environment. How can I create a practice plan that's, you know, we don't like to say, but, but it's going to be fun. It's going to be challenging. But at the same time, I'm going to be so engaged in it because I want to see if I, as a coach, can keep making it a little bit more complicated as we go through that hour of practice. But can I sit back and can I let the players dictate? Can I sit back there and be a little bit more of like a buddy with them and start asking them questions to actually engage them and giving and empowering them into understanding that this is their team. I'm just here to guide you. Instead of always sitting there and stressing, and stressing, and stressing about drills and everything else, maybe just, you know, my advice would be, Take a step back and, you know, create the environment and really get to know your players on a very personal level. For sure. I think that's huge. Um, and just the idea of like allowing them to discover it, like you just kind of, you know, I'm a school teacher at heart and like the idea of just allowing, like facilitating learning versus like teaching or like lecturing learning. Right. Um, I think mm -hmm. that's a, that's a huge piece to it. And there's so many, different ways to do it and the way you're doing it it seems like uh it's awesome and it seems like it's working before before we get a big let's go from you where where can people find you and where can people uh, uh connect and and learn more you can find me on um usually on like twitter twitter is soikonen which is my last name s-e-y-h-k-o-n-e-n seven seven and instagram i've kind of like laid off that a little bit but it's soikonen.77 there. Um, and obviously nerohockey.substack.com. You can send me an email through there or anywhere else. Um, I'm always uh, happy to answer some questions or whatnot. I love it. I love it. Uh, last thing too, you, you, you touched on it. Congratulations on, uh, on the, the upcoming Global Skills Showcase. You're going to be a presenter. Thanks. Can you touch on that real quick before we, uh, we, we jump? And then I know... Uh, we got to wrap up because Danny's got some, some kids he's got to go coach and teach. So 
Um, but congratulations on that Global Skills Showcase. I'm looking forward to, to, to listening to your, your, uh, your lecture or your presentation, I should Thank say. Thank you. Yeah, that was, it was, it, it, it was different. Like, um, I picked the cognition and variability for, for, uh, for players and, um, it sounded great when they asked me what I wanted, what I want to do sounded awesome. And then I sat there with my wife at home. I'm like, uh Oh, <laughs> now what, <laughs> how do I put this together? And I guess what you're going to be able to see, whoever's going to watch it and everything else like that, you're, you're not going to see me talk about it. You're not going to see me on the ice. It's, it's my players. And, um, what I did is it's just like how we talked about here. I'm a very behind the scenes guy with them. They are the showcase. It doesn't matter whether it's on their team, whether it's in, in the showcase, uh, presentation, but they are front and center. It's, I'm just behind, just trying to encourage them. And what my whole process is, uh, we talked a little bit about the brain at the start, some of the different uh, cells and chemicals with inside of our brain that are very important to understand. And um, on the ice, it's just, you know, putting them in different environments on how do they excel and how, what, what can we see from there and what are the different areas that we want to be able to look for and bring it back to those guys. And I was changing reps on everything. Very cool. I, I'm looking forward to seeing a little uh, kind of a see behind the curtain of what you're you're working with with your your Russian players over there. I'm, I'm looking forward to getting a little, <laughs> little sneak into the, uh, the the process there. But well, Ted, we're I, that we're we're lucky that my president actually signed off and said I could do it because <laughs> he's he's very secretive on everything. Yeah, I remember you. We've talked about that before. Uh, you're oh. kind of limit, limited in what you're allowed to share over there. They they they, uh, they, they keep keep wraps on on some of the the secrets there, but. Uh, well, Ted, I, I love talking with you, man. I really appreciate you coming back on. Uh, I think we're going to wrap it up here and hopefully get you back again sometime. We can dive even deeper into, into the topics we touched on today. But before we let you go, can we get a, uh, can we get a let's go to sign us off? Let's go! Oh. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Ted Soigan, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. We'll put the, the how to get in touch with you in the show notes. And uh, I think that'll wrap us up for today. Thanks a lot, bud. Thank you, Danny, Vinny. Thanks a lot for having me on. I appreciate it. It was a lot. Of, it was a fun uh, episode, and I hope to come back again in the future. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Coach Ted. Thanks for coming on. Uh, unbelievable episode again. Make sure you're checking him out. Go and subscribe to that newsletter. I've been getting some feedback or getting some emails about it, um, and it, it's pretty cool stuff what they're doing and how they're doing it. So, super excited to have you on. Um, Let's kick it over to the first uh, couple of stars here. Three stars of the night, Cameron. What do you got? Yeah, I think you know talking with Ted. There's a, there's a bunch of uh, a bunch of knowledge and experience to pull out of this. But for the, I, I got two things in mind that I'm going to highlight. First one, third star of the night. I'm going to go outside the box a little bit and just talk about Ted's kind of like story and his following of the love of the game. I mean, he's a small town Minnesota guy. Followed it through his career path through NCAA hockey you know, and fell into, you know, he, it's just for me, you know, you always make fun of me talking about the international stuff, but like this guy's coached all over the world and his perspective on the game based from like playing in Alaska, playing in Minnesota, playing in, in Europe, playing in Scandinavia and now coaching in, uh, coaching in, in Russia. I mean, I think those things, it really equates to like, he's just following his love for the game and that yeah. game is bringing him all over the world. And that I is like, make- I love it. I love that too. I only make fun of you, coach, because I'm jealous of you and how much you <laughs> travel and do these awesome things. So that's all. Oh well, I, I'm I'm jealous of Ted because the guy's lived a life following his passion, following the game, and the game's brought him all over the world. I mean, he's literally, you know, married to uh, you know, his his beautiful wife from Sweden. His kids are, you know, talking about his kids are being raised. Like, how many languages does he say his son and daughter speak? It was 15, crazy. Twenty. I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, talk about what like worldly kids he's raising there. But anyway, that my big thing is like, he's following the love of the game. It's taken him all over the world and given him like unbelievable experiences that make me really jealous. And I love it in a good way. So that's my, uh, my third star following the love of the game and, and taking it where the game takes him. Second star of the game is really his, uh, our second star of the night is the, is the, the thought of neuro hockey. You know, that's Ted's new, uh, new coaching group kind of symposium where he's talking about the neuroscience for skill acquisition and, and basically forcing players to 
increase their hockey IQ by making decisions, being forced to, for decision-making within the game. So we're not just talking about like going in, in set patterns, but, but having the decision-making while practicing to help increase their level of understanding and an application of the skills that they're learning when it translates to a game. So, you know, I could, I could geek out on what Ted talks about and what he writes on his Twitter feed and in, in the neuro hockey uh, newsletters, like, I mean, he goes in depth with a lot of his thoughts on skill acquisition and um, I'm all about it. So that's my second star sign up for neuro hockey, check it out. And really, I, I just don't see up very many, if any other coaches talking about, um, the level of skill acquisition from a mental side, as much as I see Ted, I think he's really leading the forefront of that. So sure. what, Danny, I'm going to kick this to you, man. What do you have for the first star of the night? What's your big takeaway? First star of the night, something I've already stolen and started implementing my practices, calling it my own, but I told him I was going to do it. So it's okay. <laughs> um, honestly, it's just the idea of like, when he does skill work, it's, it's always, and I guess I shouldn't say it's always, but I, I don't, I guess I don't know every practice he does, but he talked about how, you know, if he's doing like zone entry work, he'll have two guys or girls pair up with each other. And then they will, the one person will play defense. The other person will be the offensive player entering the zone. They'll do whatever skill that they're doing, go through the whole phase of it, the flow of the, whatever the, the zone entry is. And then the cool part is like they stick together as partners. So they'll jump back in line. And instead of just standing there, picking your nose and not in line, you're actually like, Hey, this is what I feel like you could have done better. This is what you did really well. Or this is, this is that, and this is that. And so I think it's just great. Like, because kids are getting feedback from you, they're getting feedback from each other. They're using the line as a, as a spot to get better. And so for me, it's, it's development at its finest. Um, and that's why he's having a ton of success with what he's doing. And so that's my first star of the night, nothing fancy, just hard work and um, something really, really cool that he's doing on the development side. So take notes. I'm definitely uh, using that and implementing that in future camps, clinics, skill sessions, all the above. So yeah, absolutely. I don't know. Um, yeah, it was phenomenal. Awesome time. What else? I like you got that. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a great takeaway there, Danny. I'm going to start, like, I have started using that in some of my practices too, but I think that's what I love about doing these podcasts, man. Every time we talk to someone, I feel like there's a minimum one thing to like take and make our coaching better. And I love that. So thank you, Ted, for sharing that experience with us, man. I, it's good stuff. So Danny, with that, I think it's time to wrap it up. What do you What do you say? You got any uh, Got any other uh, exciting news to share? Anything like that, or you just want to want to wrap this up and and keep rolling? Nothing big. Let's keep this about Ted. I think uh, what he's doing. Make sure you check him out on his social channels. Um, if you have any questions, reach out to him again. Neuro Hockey is taking off, so you're gonna want to check that out. Uh, yeah, I appreciate it. Make sure you hit that like button, subscribe, cross check the like button. And we will see everybody shortly. Let's go. Let's go.